millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. True Hauntings is a frightfully good production. Built during the 12th century, Newgate Prison in London became well known as a place of great cruelty and wretchedness, with a lack of regard for the humans inside its walls. It was reserved for some of the most notorious prisoners ever held under the death sentence. It lacked fresh air and drinkable water. Punishment was so inhumane that death was a blessed relief for the inmates. Newgate ceased operation as a prison in 1902. The building was demolished except for one wall which still stands today. The land is now used to house the Old Bailey, the Central Criminal Court. In this edition of the True Hauntings podcast, we head into the deep, dark cells of Newgate to learn about life behind bars and whether ghosts still haunt the surrounding area, lost and angry until the end of time. Hi, I'm Renata. And I'm Anne, and we welcome you to this week's episode of the True Hauntings Podcast. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Welcome back to the studio, Anne, and we're doing a late-nighter. We are. We're doing a late-night shift Yes, we're in, our, we're in our PJs, and thankfully it's winter, so they're nice and covered up. <laughs> no, I'm joking. We're still fully clothed. Um, but it is raining and crazy outside. I was actually a little concerned for you coming in. Mm, yes. Yeah, was so was it I. <laughs> much debris on the road or? No. Um, no roads flooded? No, no. Apart from the one across my dad's. <laughs> my 89-year-old yes. father who lives diagonally opposite us, um, he's been really worried that the water is about to come into his house, uh, although it's not really at that level at all. But um, it's it's covering one side of the road and it started to creep across to his side of the road. Yeah, but we have friends that are in um, some dire straits at the moment they and uh, one of our sites that we go and investigate that we did just this last weekend has, yeah, has now um, had to be evacuated. Yeah, 
and uh, it is closed off. Yep. Can't get to it. The way we go to the toilet is underwater. Yes. Completely. Not to, even the roof showing. You'd have to swim there. You'd have to dive. Oh, oh the long drop isn't a long drop. <laughs> <laughs> There's turds floating everywhere. Oh. <laughs> and it's a camping ground as well. <laughs> Apparently, I think there was one caravan on there. Oh, Maybe no. not anymore. It's now called a boat. Yeah. Oh, no, it's terrible because it that, that, um, that poor pub has had so many floodings over yeah. the years. It's it's amazing. It, it's actually still standing. Yeah. Um, but they will need a lot of help once these waters drop. And I don't know how they still get insurance if yeah. they do. Yeah. Maybe they're just used to it now and they know to pack everything up into the rafters, but I think it's too late. I think it's gone into the roof now. Yeah. Yeah, poor things. Oh. Yeah, so we're we're in the in the midst of a weather event here in New South Wales, Australia, and uh, it's been pouring for a few days. Yeah. Now Melissa pointed out something to us. Now this is Melissa, who was one of our Patreons, one of our Grand Poobars. She said that every time she sends us some of her crafty work that we seem to be having massive floods. Oh. oh. Because she put this together. So she sent us um, the crocheted version of Robert the Doll. Yep. Who we adore. And today in the post, a big box arrived from Melissa in Canada yet again. And we've just unpacked it. And what was in it, Renata? Oh, Melissa, you have outdone yourself. Melissa? (laughs) We're going to post some photos on the True Hornings um, fans page yep. for you to have a look at just these adorable things that Melissa hand makes. So we have a um, a doll. Yes. Um, and this is the real Annabelle. Yes. Yeah. The Raggedy Ann doll. The Raggedy doll. Ann doll, which is all crocheted and her clothing is all crocheted. It's exquisite. It is, it is absolutely phenomenal. And we got a little um, demon. Yes. A little crochet demon. Oh, he's so cute. Which every household should have. <laughs> he's beautiful. I think he's going to be our mascot. Yeah, and he's even got little red wings that have been crocheted. And we've got some very special cat ball carriers. <laughs> and um, you'll just have to see those yes. in, in a little video that we're going to post. Yes, she's so. very clever. I don't know how she thought to even do that. You are a... Absolutely clever girl, and um, I think you should sell these. Oh, look, and, and, the, and the amount of work that goes yeah. into them, people, they, they should not be a cheap item because no. they are hand crocheted. They yes. must take her Forever. so many hours. Yep, yep. So they'd be worth quite an amount, a couple of hundred dollars at least. Oh, at least. At least. Yeah. Uh, but they would be worth, anyone who is a collector uh, would love to have these in their collection. Yes, and look, thank you so much. And if you guys have anything of interest you want to send us, you can you can <laughs> do that. Please do that. <laughs> I'm 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 quickly trying to look up our post office box. Um, it is PO Box two two eight five. Now I've got the right number this time. Danga D A N G A R two three zero nine New South Wales. Australia. Even if it's a postcard. Oh, we'd love, we've actually got some really good ones where people have sent us some jokes on the postcards. Mm-hmm. We'd love a postcard. Renata loves sweets. She's <laughs> she's not had the Reese peanut butter cups. I've got to, I've got to do that for her. But um, so you'd write on it, Anne and Renata. Then the next line, PO Box two two eight five. Then the next line would be Dangar D A N G A R. And the next line would be New South Wales. 2309, and then last line, Australia. Yeah, go your hardest. Let's, let's, let's see what we can get. Oh, and get. she gave us the magnets of? Yes, of? Of BAMP. 
say it. And it doesn't help when I'm trying to say to us, no. Bev, Bev, Bev. Bev. Only Canadians would work that out. You can't oh, put easy, an N and an F That is Banff. No, you can't. No, no, no. All right, we need to get on with this show. We're having way too much fun already. You right there? Yes. <laughs> Be settled, please. I'm trying to do my moment. This is it. We're going to get the giggles now. I'm not going to be able to do my soundscape. And stop yawning. Because every time you yawn, I want to yawn. Let me, don't. Stop. <laughs> oh, God. Everyone knows Newgate Prison here in London is haunted. There were too many strange and unexplainable things that went on there. The rumour is that the ghost of Jack Shepherd haunts the prison to this day, even though it has been shut down. I worked as a prison counsellor for 15 years at the prison, and the prisoners would have the strangest things to say about the ghosts. I knew half of the prisoners were just crazy to begin with, but there was this one prisoner who told me a story about something that had happened to a prisoner named Scott Williams before I came to work at the prison. His story chilled me to the bone. Late one night, he was in his cell trying to sleep, but couldn't because it was raining. All he could focus on was the leak in his ceiling and the sound when it hit the cold concrete floor every second. After a while, his eyes started to get heavy and he was almost asleep when he heard chains and heavy footsteps. He was wide awake when he heard that. He got up to look out his window but didn't see a thing. He knew it couldn't be anyone inside the prison because they do not wear chains and it was the middle of the night. All the prisoners were sleeping. He listened for the sound again but didn't hear anything except for the rain dripping down from the ceiling. He went back to bed thinking that his mind was just playing tricks on him because he was tired. The next day, it was gloomy and wet from all the rain the town got the night before. He looked out his window into what the prisoners called the cage. The cage was a small gated-in area between the prison and the Old Bailey Courthouse, which was also known as the Dead Man's Walk. It also happened to be the location of the lime pits where the remains of the executed prisoners were buried. While Scott looked out his window between the bars, he thought of all the prisoners that were executed and buried there. He knew that later that year, he would be one of those prisoners buried in the lime pits. Later that night, Scott was trying to fall asleep when it started to storm. The drip started. He then heard the chains and the footsteps that he had heard the night before. He quickly got out of bed and looked out his window into the cage. The other prisoners believed that he saw the ghost of the former prisoner Jack Shepherd, who was hanged in 1724 after escaping custody three times for burglary and murder. All the prisoners had heard that he walked 
in the cage late at night as a lost soul, but no one had ever seen Jack. The prisoners say he must have seen Shepherd because Scott was found dead in his cell the next morning with chain marks on his throat. He had been strangled to death. That soundscape (laughs) today came from the oldbaileywordpress.com. And um, I have a few issues with it, Renata. Do you? I do. Why? And this is where, when you go researching on the interwebs, you've got to be careful what you're researching because you found a few things that were awry as well, didn't you? I did. And we had to go back and re-record our introduction because there was a few differing dates. Mm-hmm. Well, this one had a very differing date for starters. Originally, this story said that uh, the Jack Shepherd was h- hanged in 1974. Oh. No. no, it was 1724. Oops, I think somebody's fingers may have got tangled up there. Mm. But I, they're talking about the prison still being there today. And there's not a no. prison there anymore. No. no. And they're also mentioning things about they worked as a prison counsellor for 15 years at the prison. Pretty sure they didn't have prison councils back in the 1700s, if this is the story he's talking about, or even later, because you said it closed down in... 1904. Yeah, so I don't think they had prison councils then either. No. So I don't know if this is a made-up story or whether this is a true one, but I thought it was a good one for a soundscape, and it does sort of set the scene for, for this particular prison. But ladies and gentlemen and the kiddies that might be listening... Don't take this as factual. Mm, yes. Let me set the scene a little bit further for oh, you. Oh, yes, please, Auntie Nada. As prisons were privately run, any time spent inside had to be paid for by the prisoner. Housing a prisoner varied from a private cell with a cleaning woman and a visiting prostitute... Oh, what? ..to simply lying on the floor with no cover in a place where it was said to be so dirty that the floor crunched when walking over it from the lice and vermin. The final insult was left to those who died inside and only a quarter of prisoners survived until their execution day. Those prisoners who died within the walls of Newgate before their hanging dates had to stay in Newgate as a rotting corpse until relatives found the money for the body to be released. Oh, mm. if you if you and I got put into jail, do you reckon our husbands would pay for us to have a um a maid and a <laughs> an escort come no. to visit us? <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't want the no. escort. I'm too old for that crap. No, especially not women. No, no. No escort, male escort. No. no. Oh well, if you want a female escort? You go no. for it. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no judgment here. No, 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 no. This was one of those um, stories that when I looked at it in its entirety, my head exploded and I went, I can't do this. I cannot I cannot go through this much history and try and make something that is going to fit into such a small um, podcast. And that's the end of this week's episode. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. But anyway, you I'm going to try. I'm going to try. What if I hand you the nipple thing with the flashing <laughs> ball? Will that help? No. Okay. No. So uh, Newgate was built in the 12th century and demolished in around 1904, depending on what 
history you read. And the prison was extended and rebuilt many times, but all in all, it remained in use for around 700 years. That's a long time. That is a long time. So from 1188 to 1902, thereabouts. Okay. 11. Yes. 11. 11. 11. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so for so, for so much history, our succession of criminal courtrooms were attached to the prison commonly referred to as the Old Bailey. Uh, so... Can I do that again? Sure. Sorry. Which part, Renata? <laughs> Which part would you like to redo? No, just that bit. Back from back the flashing that. nipples? No, no. <laughs> Let's not have that. Female escorts? No, no. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> oh, God. Do we have to start this over? I don't know where you're going from. I reckon just pick it up. I think they'll love this. Leave it in. No. It's a great outtake. Go oh. for it. For much of its history, there was a succession of criminal courtrooms that were attached to the prison, and they were commonly referred to as the Old Bailey. Right. We got so that part that Remember, much. now I'm going to set your mind thinking to where you've heard the word Bailey before. Rumpole of the Bailey. No. No? No. Oh, God. Um, from our Bailey's hist- Whiskey with no, Crew. What? No, go back to the history that we've done with podcasts. What, last week? And castles. And we hear the word Bailey. Oh, not the mot. The, the mot. mot and Bailey. Yes. We stood on so many mots when we went to England. Right. I was very excited. And I was trying to work out why it's called the Old Bailey. Why, Renata? Tell me. <laughs> oh, my God. So it, the Old Bailey is uh, located about 200 yards northwest of St Paul's Cathedral, just outside the former western wall of the City of London. It is named after the street on which it is located, which itself follows the line of the original fortified wall or <gasps> bailey of the Old City. Oh, well, there you go. So That's it's the why old it's called bailey. the Old Bailey. That sounds better than the Old Wall, doesn't it? Exactly right. And the prison itself was constructed uh, on on a location that uh, was called Newgate. And Newgate was one of five gates that opened up. Let me guess. And let people in. This was the new one? From... (laughs) From outside the old Roman wall. (laughs) Right, so all yep. of this fell into place for yeah, so me. So we had the old Roman wall with the new gate. That, yes. Oh, jeez, I'm getting good at this. Yes, yes. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I did uh, offer you a coffee before right. we started. You can't now, complain. <laughs> this just gets worse. And this is why this history was so hard. Now, there were a total of five jails at Newgate, the New Gate, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original gatehouse was where... The original Newgate prison was placed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and it was reconstructed in the early 15th century. What, what are you doing now? Well, they've told us that we should be multi skilling and doing different things and putting videos up of us doing this. So keep going, Renata. Oh, okay. We want my hand yeah, things. Yeah, keep okay. doing what you're doing with your hands. It's fabulous. Now, there was some money that came in when the uh, mayor at the time, the mayor of London, Richard Whitting- Whittington. Oh, is that no, anyone related to Dick? Dick, yes. <laughs> Dick Whittington. 
<laughs> yeah, in the early 15th century, so 1400s, um, he had been mayor four times. And during the last time he was mayor, Lord Mayor, he could not stand the filth oh, that was going on in Newgate Prison. So oh. he threw some money at it. And um, they, they cleaned it up. They cleaned it up a tiny little bit. Yeah. And then the building survived until about um, 1666. Six, six, six. <gasps> That's the mark of the devil. The year of the Great Fire. Oh, yeah, oh. there you go. Oh, Jeez, that's the exorcist work. was was the exorcist, or who was it? That, that, that was Satan's work. No, yeah. don't, 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 no, you, no, no. Oh. Um, and and that destroyed Whittington's cleaned up jail. Right. All right. Now then, a new building, the third Newgate Prison. The um, new, new yes, Newgate, Newgate Prison. prison. <laughs> yep, uh, fell into disrepair yet again. Uh, and there was a process of reconstruction. And then the Gordon riots occurred in 1780 and destroyed most of everything that was, again, around the area. And now you may well ask what the Gordon riots were. <gasps> what is the Gordon riots, I'm Renata? glad you asked, oh, Dan, because I looked you. that up. Um, now, that was several days of rioting in London <laughs> that was motivated by, get this, anti-Catholic sentiment. Oh, Yes. Well, they began with a large and orderly protest against the, the Papist Act in 1788. And for those people who haven't listened you're, you're gonna, to gonna. our Rome, uh, was it the, the Vatican podcast? Yep. You need to go listen to it. <laughs> it's very naughty. Okay, and that was intended to reduce official discrimination against British Catholics, enacted by the... Pa- <laughs> oh, no, she's got the wheeze. It's been a while since we've had a wheeze. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Can't say this. I was cracking up when I read it. Oh, enacted by the... <laughs> it may be that she has to turn the computer around and I read it for you. I'll just take a breath, put your professional cap on here, Rita. <laughs> That's not going to help. <laughs> oh... <laughs> Oh, I can't. Wait. This had better be good because you know we haven't even got a hint of it yet. <laughs> Renata, <laughs> say the word. <laughs> Do I have to pause the podcast? <laughs> All right, we'll be back shortly. We apologise for that break of transmission there. Okay, Renata, you told me you got it together okay. now. Yes, so it was intended to reduce official discrimination against... Oh. Sorry. No, she hasn't got it together. Would you like me to read it, Auntie Nata? Oh, I'm going to get the video out again and I'm going to start videoing because you just... Pull yourself together, all right? All right, come on. Stupid. Well, let me read it. There's car crashes happening while you're having this fit. All right. All right. Where am I going from? Somewhere here. Somewhere just she's <laughs> wafting down there. Um, they began a, a largely an orderly protest. Yes, we did that intended to reduce official discrimination. Um, the head of the Protestants, uh, the was it the Poppery Act? Lord George Gordon, head of the Protestant Association, uh, argued that the law would enable Catholics to join the British Army and, the, and plot treason. 
Is that what you were cracking up at? No, well, you read it as the Poppery Act. I read it as the Popery. The Popery. <laughs> oh, good the po- God. The Popery Act. Can we just not do that and no, go back to the that beginning? That is staying in. No. That is gold. <laughs> no. No, no. No, I'm serious. All right, we, we just had to pause it again because she's having a hot flush. The clothing is coming off. We apologise for that. The Potpourri Act is now <laughs> Lord Potpourri. <laughs> Potpourri. <laughs> it's all in the pronunciations, apparently. Uh, okay. Um, that was so wasn't worth it. Stop it. My God. <clears throat> right, go. Lord George Gordon, head of the Protestant Association, argued that the law would enable Catholics to join the British Army and plot treason. The protest led to widespread rioting and looting, including attacks on Newgate Prison and the Bank of England, and was the most destructive in the history of London. So it was a big moment in London. You can't put your T-shirt over your mouth while you're you're talking into a microphone, Renata. I think we've learned a lesson that we don't do podcast recordings at (laughs) night time anymore. (laughs) It's past our bedtime. It is. Right, now, the fifth and final Newgate building was completed to the designs of George Dance the Younger. (laughs) There's some great names in this one. And opened in 1785. So the jail became the best-known structure George had ever created. And George was the son of an architect in a family of architects and was also a town planner and an artist. And George's father actually designed the new... Old Bailey. <laughs> the new Old <laughs> Bailey. Okay. So in the 17th and 18th centuries, Newgate served as the point of no return for those who were to be hanged in at Tyburn near the present. <laughs> You're just watching me just crash and burn. <laughs> just crashing and burning. I can't do this. <laughs> The glasses have now fogged up. Oh, this is going to go down in the history of true hauntings as the most, um, I don't know, disrupted, hilarious episode for no reason. The nipple. The nipple's glowing. Well, you put it away. Okay, I've now removed the flashing nipple. See, uh, that, that, Melissa, that's all your fault. She's going to blame everyone but herself. All right, I'm just going to pause a moment. I'll get her a cup of coffee. We'll pull ourselves together and keep going. All right, we've got her a cup of coffee, and that's going to settle everything down. Her eyes are rolling into the back of her head, though, so God knows what will happen. All right, let's let's pick it up. I'm just having a breath. We should have done that before I'd put the mic back on, but right. never mind. Okay, so in the 17th and 18th centuries, Newgate served as the point of no return from where those who were to be hanged at Tyburn near the present site of the Marble Arch would be held before starting their ride to meet their death on the gallows. Yay! Made it through. Oh, I thought you were <laughs> going that they were going to the gallows. No. I think that's rather inconsiderate. No. So executions at that point in time became a spectacle and a sort of weird theatrical performance, and we know that because the same thing happened here in Australia. 
And uh, firstly, there would be the condemned man's sermon, which was preached in the prison chapel. Then the story of the person to be hanged and his or her crime and the whole sensational backstory of the allegations and descriptions of the crime would be written up in a pamphlet which could be later purchased called the Newgate Calendar. Oh, it would be better than a penny and dreadful. it was sold to the crowds who gathered along the route, 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 slash route, uh, to Tyburn. She's and not looking at me because no, she knows no, she can't. No. And if they were able to afford a seat at the gallows itself. Now, I read a little bit more about that. I wanted to know, um, you know, who and why all of this was done. And... Um, and, and like you said, because so much has been written about Newgate, uh, a lot of the information will not match. Some of the information no, won't match. So at one point I read that uh, a lot of this stuff was actually written up um, on the day, um, oh, sorry, before the uh, person was taken to the gallows. So they knew about his story. They knew why or she had done it. Um, and they literally fabricated the rest. Because right. it makes a good story. Because it makes a good story because they wanted to sell this stuff. They wanted to sell this booklet, right? Yeah. When this person was going to the gallows. That's when you do it. very familiar of people sort of rewriting the story to make a bestseller mm, and yeah. then making some money on it. They and then go there. Yeah, and then I find today that there was a person who had written a thesis on this. Now, you can find these um, Newgate calendars. Mm -hmm. They are um, online. You can Google them. Mm -hmm. And they have stories. They have like over 2,000 stories of people who had been um, executed. And the whole thing is written up. And they were written up by the ordinary. The Ordinary. The ordinary. Now, I tried to look up who this ordinary was, and the ordinary was just the, an ordinary the, person. The, no, the, just the local, the local um, priest. Oh, yeah. In, in oh, that okay. worked at the um, Newgate Chapel. Oh, because I've oh. actually got a story about a ghost of okay. a priest. Okay. Ooh. So he was called the ordinary. Um, if Anything, anyone that had kind of like it was higher ranked um, in sort of the the um, Christian thing. <laughs> Christian thing? Are we talking about the church? Yeah, the church. Right, so uh, priests and bishops. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Bishops, they dies, were, they weren't ordinary, but um, the ordinary was like, I guess, the lowest of the priests that did oh, whatever. They were yeah. just so ordinary. They, they even called ordinary. them ordinary. Yeah, yeah, they're ordinary. I just thought that was very interesting. Very interesting. Um, so they looked at this, and this is really interesting here too because you know how this was all linked to true crime. Where did true crime come from? Mm -hmm. And if you follow the link back, it goes back to these Newgate calendars because there was a way of writing them out, right? Mm -hmm. And they were written out. The formula was the same every single time. And the formula was you go and you listen to the sermon mm -hmm. first and you write that information down. Then you write down about who the person was, what their crimes were, how their crimes um, happened, uh, and then their walk to the gallows. 
And hopefully at the end there was some sort of a um, moment where that person saw God and said, I'm sorry, and, um, you know, more sensational. But more often than not, that didn't happen. No, no. And I can so imagine they, that they all they kind of had to cursed people instead. Yeah, right, right that in. Yep, yep. <laughs> so these formulas were very consistent. Um, and it was the sermon, uh, overview of crimes, reporting of the evidence, um, and the execution and how it was carried out, um, including the prisoner's behaviour upon the scaffold and any last words spoken. So if the words were pretty horrible and like blasphemous. They say, F you. Yeah. Um, then that didn't fit the formula and so that wasn't oh. written about. So I bet anything they confessed and they they said, I've seen God now and I've seen the error of my ways and they'd rewrite it, something like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So there was a fellow here, Thomas Lecure. <laughs> Um, summarised two of these examples. Mm -hmm. uh, Francis Robinson refused to address the crowd when admonished to do so because he said his speech would signify nothing. Year after year, people make last dying speeches, but to no effect. Robinson died neither shedding a tear or appearing much dejected. His companion at Tyburn, John Gowan, refused for an hour and a half to confess and pray despite the ordinary's most strenuous efforts. The sheriff's objections to the long delay and demands from the spectators that he should confess whether he had murdered his wife or not so that the hanging could proceed. But surely by that stage they would have tried him and worked out that he had murdered the wife and they're not still waiting for a confession before they hang him. <sighs> Some uncooperative felons did not disrupt production or interfere with the formula, one that was replicated over and over again with very little variation. Thus, the ordinary's accounts were simple to produce and were easily consumed by those seeking reassurance that society would be protected from those who broke legal codes and that God would forgive the penitent who had strayed. So this was all to do. This was the start of true of true crimes, right? Okay, not true hauntings. No but true crimes. True crimes because it was that's a formula. Mm -hmm. We're going to tell people what these people did, mm -hmm. and in the end, God saves us all we'll because they will die. Yes, because we need a, a good tidy ending on everything. Yes, and then they got money for it as well because they could sell it. Wow. Now. Apparently, this person here. But it's not true. How can it be the start of true crimes when it's not true? <laughs> I'm asking hard questions. I'm yes. sorry. Too late. So there are over 2,500 biographies of hang men and women, um, and uh, this all comes from um, a, a university paper called Stealing Stories, Punishment, Profit, and the Ordinary of Newgate. Oh, Newgate. That would be riveting by, reading. By Rachel Franks. I tried to read the whole lot before I came tonight. I think that's why my head's gone <laughs> crazy. Um, but it's it's really interesting that we, <coughs> we aren't really doing that much difference nowadays we're still seeking our thrills in some way shape or form back in those days you could actually go out and watch a person be hanged mm -hmm. and that could be a whole day spectacle mm -hmm. um, and we did a story on the viaduct Mm -hmm. Yeah, the viaduct was around in the, um, the latter tavern, yep. years yep. of um, Newgate mm -hmm. and 
People paid to be and sit in those windows yeah. that faced Newgate. Everybody made money on it. So they could watch the hanging occur. And now it's views on YouTube or views on TikTok. Yeah. We are all still gawking mm-hmm. at... Um, Car crashes. Yeah, we are. Yeah. And people are getting paid for it. Absolutely. Uh, And this is what we face as paranormal investigators when we're trying to put stuff on YouTube that is true and our true experience when we're we're facing the people who are sensationalising everything and getting millions of views and making a buck ton of money. And we're little old us. We're happy if we crack 200 views, but we are being honest and true. But we're not following the formula. We're not following the formula. Therefore, we're not going to be millionaires. We're not following the formula. <laughs> oh, that's got my back up now. Mm. Oh. So ec- executions became execution. executions became a gruesome form of public entertainment. People would get drunk, so violence would ensue, and attempted rescues were tried as the person was heading to the gallows and there was an occasional riot or two. Oh, nice. It is a day out, isn't it? It is an absolute day out for the whole family. things like that are still happening today. Yes, yes. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, this may have been one of the reasons why they stopped doing um, outdoor executions. Oh, so sad. I've got a a question for you. Yeah, and the fact that, hold on, and just the fact that um, Newgate, they they bought the executions from Tyburn to to Newgate and they actually were doing um, the executions outdoors for a little while and then they said, no, we can't do that. Because remember when we were talking about the viaduct, the people, there would be thousands of people in that area waiting to see the execution. It, It just, it stopped the whole of London. And so they had to end up putting the executions inside and that was the end of it. Yeah. How upsetting for the people. Now, my question for you. Yeah. If you were around during those times. Yes, I would. <laughs> would you buy a ticket? <laughs> I would have. You would have bought I a would have. I don't think I could have. I would have. I don't know if I could. <laughs> you would have. You would have been swept up in the hysteria. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yes, executions were moved inside the jail in 1868 um, and all public executions were stopped in England and in her colonies. Um, And the last execution actually occurred at Newgate in um, May 1902. Now, we mentioned before, many people made money off these executions and writers did too. 
And so you had people like Charles Dickens and William Thackeray who attended the Newgate Drop, as they called it, on execution days, and they wrote about it. They wrote it in many of their books, talking about Newgate, and they weren't the only ones because there were also poets that actually wrote about Newgate in their poems and writers who actually uh, wrote pamphlets and, and publications all about what was going on because the whole thing was people were in a really bad state Mm -hmm. in England. Most people were poor, destitute and in horrible, horrible living conditions. And so to hear about anyone whose life was more miserable than their own gave them hope (laughs) that when they died, at least they hadn't lived as horrendous a life as someone who had been stuck in Newgate. Yeah. So in the last 68 years of public hangings, there were 567 hangings, Mm -hmm. uh, including 25 women, and these would draw huge crowds, especially if the prisoners were notorious and there were some that were very notorious. Now, from 1752 to 1832, the bodies of those executed for murder were taken to the Surgeon's Hall in the Old Bailey mm-hmm. uh, and they were publicly anatomised. And I have a story on that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to say any more. Oh, it's actually a ghost story, though, <laughs> but it's just I just found this story and I did ask whether you had got anything on it and went, oh, my God. Yes. Um, I don't know whether you're going to talk about what I'm going to talk about, but we shall see. We we shall see. Now, there are only two confirmed executions at Newgate um, between 1834 and 1836, um, and they were of John Smith and James Pratt, who were hanged for buggery on the (laughs) 27th of November, 1835. That's not what I was expecting you to say. (laughs) Children, look it up. Look up what buggery is. I'm not going to go into it. I I do like their name was John Smith. John Smith and James Pratt. (laughs) Well, James Pratt's Sounds like a real name, but John Smith, isn't that like what they, Jane Doe and John Smith? (laughs) Yes. So after 1836, only murderers were hanged at Newgate and their bodies were buried in unmarked graves within the walls. 99 men and eight women were to suffer from this crime between 1837 and 1902. Of this total, 58 men and five women were executed in private between the 8th of September 1868 and the 6th of May 1902. When George Wolfe became the last person to be executed, George was only 21 years old and he had beaten and stabbed his girlfriend, Charlotte Cheeseman, to death. Oh, poor Charlotte. Yes. Now, there were four double hangings, a triple and a quadruple hanging during this period, and they were all hanged together. So there was a a large scaffold, huge gallows. Sounds like a boy band. And they... (laughs) (laughs) And they were all... It was awful. They were all hanged together. Now, there was an incompetent and bungling axeman called Jack Ketch... And he became synonymous um, as a brutal executioner. And he also gave his name to Jack Ketch's kitchen within the jail itself where cadavers were boiled and dismembered. Yuck. (sighs) So this is why this this was so hard because you just went down a rabbit hole and you went, oh, my God. Now, one of the most gruesome gruesome practices associated with Newgate's prison, um, and this is punishment, was the pressing room. A pressing room? You haven't heard about the pressing room? No. Oh, let me regale you with this. Felons, 
an archaic term used to describe those who had committed serious crimes, including theft, were found guilty, who were found guilty, forfeited all of their property, leaving their families destitute. Such forfeiture was not abolished until 1870. Now, the only way to avoid this penalty was to refuse to enter a plea. Now, prior to 1426, those who took this course were starved to death, one victim being Hugh de Bowen, who died in Newgate in the late 14th century. But so many prisoners made this grim choice that the authorities decided to subject such recalcitrance to penefort et du. That's beautiful French. Did you like that? I had to look that up and say, how do you say? Pianoforte et du. Sounds like pianoforte. Pianoforte et du. What does it mean? It's obviously a du. It means painful death by legal sentence, such as crushing. The prisoner was made to lie prostrate and almost naked on the ground beneath a board on which metal or iron weights were placed. More weights were added each day, a process which continued until he was pressed to death. An 18th century occupant of the prison, the robber John Hall, described these wretched prisoners having no food or drink but black bread or the channel water which runs under the jail. And if his fainting pains should make him crave to eat or drink, uh, that's what all that he could get. Few could endure the suffering. So they were pressed to death. That's horrific. Yep. Now there were also, also, also... um, in the early days, so we're going back to like the 1200s and 1300s, um, where they would be drawn and quartered. Oh. So you heard about, you know, yeah, about the drawn yeah, and quarterings. Yeah. And they were beheaded and their heads would be put on spikes so that people could see. Yeah, a bit like Game of Thrones. Yeah, so all, all of this is real stuff. Humans are the most scary things on this earth. I'd just like to say that we're, you know, about 40 minutes in. We I'm haven't sorry. even got to the ghosts. <laughs> So bad. I know, but it'll just have to be a long episode. That's, yeah, that's sorry, is, guys. It is so bad. Um, we can't cut out a wheezing. That's got to stay no. there. We haven't had a good wheezing <laughs> episode. Um, so London was known as the crime capital of England, but Newgate was known as the execution capital. Um, so between 1783 and 1902, 1,169 people were put to death. Um, Now, that was known as the Bloody Code, and that really lasted until 1836. Now, there were over 200 felonies where you could be put to death, and I remember reading about this because a lot of people actually came out to Australia because they were uh, going to be put to death, but then their sentence was commuted to life or life in the colonies. Right, okay. Yep. So there were 200 felonies where you could be put to death, but um, in most cases people were only executed for about 20 of them. Uh, Newgate, even in the 19th century, there the circumstances under which you lived there were appalling, and so they brought in prison reformers like John Howard and Elizabeth Fry. We did have a Prime Minister called John Howard, so I find that most amusing, yep. To try and um, 
you know, make things better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Elizabeth Fry went into the female quarters. Uh, she visited in 1816 and she said that she found the place crowded with half-naked women and their children. Uh, the women were typically waiting for transfer to the prison ships that could take them to the colonies. They brought women to Newgate from county prisons in the south of England to await transportation and kept them there for weeks or months until a ship was available. Now, many of the ordinary women prisoners were drunk because of the availability of cheap gin. Remember, you could buy stuff in prison if you had money. And some were clearly... Or if you had favours. Yeah. And some were clearly deranged. Now, among the common criminals in London, many notable people of the time also stayed there. William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania, was detained in contempt of court for allegedly refusing to remove his hat during a trial for being a Quaker. Daniel Defoe was imprisoned for writing anti-church pamphlets and Casanova was imprisoned for bigamy. Fancy that. (laughs) And the notorious pirate Captain Kidd was sent to the gallows from there. Mm. Um, That's a very notorious list. Yes. So when Newgate closed, its male prisoners and its gallows transferred to Pentonville while they moved the female prisoners to Holloway Prison which had been recently renovated and turned into London's first women prison. And on that point, I'm going to end. Oh, wow. And to think we were sitting at the Viaduct Tavern across the road from the Old Bailey and we didn't realise what had gone down there. Yes, that is like... Oh. That I, really hurts me. I know. It hurts me because... Um, <laughs> this is only know, like... We a, were so close. Two months ago, we and were the, there. And the thing was that there is still one wall that exists. Yeah, yeah there is. Yeah, and you go, oh, why didn't I know? Oh, all you, right. You know what that means, though. We have to go back. That's right. <laughs> and Beth did say to us, oh, that's the old Bailey over and that's where they used to hang people. Mm-hmm. But we had no idea of the absolute depravity. All right, so... So I'm going to try and crack through my stuff um, at a, a cracking pace. Now, I found this really great site uh, called, and now I can't find it, of course, uh, paranormaldatabase.com. And you can lodge your paranormal experiences on there. And there were quite a few for this area. So I thought I would just go through these little ones first mm-hmm. to tell you about the hauntings. So the first one is escaping prisoner. They think that this ghost is an escaping prisoner. It's seen at the Amen, Amen Court, uh, Warwick Lane, which is in this same area. Mm-hmm. It's part of where it was. Um, it says, type, haunting, manifestation, date, time, unknown. Further comments. The faint grey figure seen on a nearby wall is thought to be that of a convict who escaped but was caught again and executed when this was Newgate Prison. Mm. But it, it's... I, I can almost see the little lines going, mm-hmm. Newgate Prison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> then there's the wall crawler. Oh. Location EC4, Amen Quarter, or Amen Quarter, Ludgate Hill. Type, haunting manifestation, date, time, unknown. Further comments. A black shape has been spotted crawling along the wall that backs onto the location where people executed at Newgate Prison were once buried. Uh-huh. That this, wall. This area seems to be like there's a lot. Um now, we're talking about EC4. There's the Church of St. Sepulchre, which um, was where they would announce things that were happening for Newgate Prison and when the. the mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. probably where the ordinary person yep, belonged. Yep. Uh, we have. Um, 
type, haunting manifestation, and it's in the 1950s. And it says, a former vicar was said to stand in the sanctuary. Other than his paleness, the phantom was said to look quite real. Right. Isn't that an interesting one? Mm-hmm. Uh, now that we have another one, their postcodes are like EC or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. You've got letters and a couple of numbers. You mm-hmm. can actually pinpoint where you're going with your navigator to that exact point. So this is EC4, which is the former site of Newgate Prison. Um, haunting manifestations, late 19th century, early 20th, 20th century. Newgate was haunted by several ghosts. Footsteps were reported along dead men's walk late at night. One warden support supposited <laughs> where did that even come from reported seeing the face of a decaying hanged man in a cell while others reported seeing an aging female form in the yard uh, and there, there was look, I know that there's one more here um, the old bailey uh, this is 20th century a shady, shadowy figure in a bonnet and the sound of footsteps along empty corridors have been two spooky manifestations reported within the courthouse. Um, Now, I just had to report on these two because they were just funny. Mm -hmm. It's still in EC4, so it must be close by. It's Newgate Street. Um, uh, Queen Isabella and Lady Alice Hungerford are said to engage in a bout of fisticuffs in this churchyard, both jealous of each other's beauty. A a small ghostly greyhound is reported to run between the gravestones while on occasion groans and odd lights were reported to emerge from the land. Finally, a female figure in white with hateful eyes once lurked floating around the courtyard. How's that for a description? Um, Now, we also have this one in EC4, which is the house of Mr. Edward Pitts in Puddle Dock. Love, love the name. This is in 1674. Yep. So this is going back. Oh, yeah. They found the internet in their <laughs> experience. How did, that, how did that happen? Well, they can work with EMF. Why not? Okay. It says, uh, a phantom cat seen in this house was said to be the size of a mastiff hound, but it had no legs. The family were also subjected to a poltergeist outbreak, which opened doors, moved items around and lit candles. Oh. Yes. That's clever. That's very clever. So anyway, that was my little one. Now, there is sort of a famous haunting associated with this site, Mm -hmm. and it's that of the Black Dog of Newgate. I found many, many little reports on it, and they were all sort of the same, but then I found this one, which Mm -hmm. just tickled my fancy. Uh, So it says, uh, although many ghostly tales have evolved around this sinister old wall, so they're talking about the dead man's walk, the Mm -hmm. remaining wall that is still there, Mm -hmm. the most chilling is that of the black dog of Newgate. This shapeless black form slithers along the top of the walls, slides sloppily down into the (laughs) courtyard and then melts away. Its manifestations are always accompanied, accompanied by a nauseous smell and are often accompanied by the sounds of dragging footsteps. Its origins are said to date back to the reign of Henry... Now, it says 111, but I'm, I'm not sure if it's 
uh, I think they mean third. Henry mm-hmm. the third. Henry the third. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it was one hundred and eleven. Um, when a fearsome famine struck London and the poor felons incarcerated within Newgate Prison faced with the prospect of starvation, turned on cannibalism as a means of survival. One day, a scholar was imprisoned there on charges of sorcery. Now, I actually have his name. I did find that. And I'm just going to quickly flick over to where his name is. Um, No, it's not that one. No, Richard Bayfield. So they think it was um, this man who was actually banned for having religious books. Mm -hmm. Um, He admitted to heresy and repented and then recanted. um, And they have this great quote said, uh, hang on. He repented and then recanted, like said Henry VIII's advisor, Sir Thomas More, a dog returning to its own vomit. (laughs) (laughs) I just found that was cute. Um, But uh, this went on to give far more descriptions. So, yeah, he was caught for having religious books. But this one says he was a sorcerer. Yes, so much better than... Oh, it is so much better, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Than having a Bible in your possession that you shouldn't have. Um. So they said that his portly figure proved too much of a temptation for the older inmates, and within a few days they killed and ate him, pronounced him to be a good meat. (laughs) Now, does that get the feeling that this is the story that's been created that sounds far more impressive? Now, we get to the regrets. Regrets, I've had a few... (laughs) Uh, they soon had caused, caused to regret direction for a hideous black dog with eyes of fire and jowls that dripped with blood appeared in the dead of night and proceeded to exact a terrifying revenge. Some hapless prisoners were torn limb from limb by the ferocious beast as their anguished screams echoed through the jail, striking terror into the very souls of the other inmates. Others simply died of fright when they heard its ghostly panting and its heavy paws. I wonder if they... (laughs) 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 They figured its paws walking? Maybe not. Uh, Padding across the cold stone floors. Those who survived the first nights of its lust for blood and vengeance became so terrified that they killed their guards and escaped. But no matter how far they travelled, the beast hunted them down one by one. Only when the murder of its master, the sorcerer, had been fully avenged, did it return the prisons to the prison's fetid dungeons, where it became a hideous harbinger of death, always appearing on the eve of executions or the night before a felon breathed his last. When the prison was demolished in 1902... It was hoped that the black dog would become a thing of the past, but it was not to be. For people walking in the Amen Court at night, who have happened to glance at the dark wall, have reported seeing it seething black shape shuffling across the wall and having watched as it slithers into the courtyard where it disappears before their very eyes, leaving the smell of death in its ghostly wake. 
that almost became the soundscape. How wonderful. Isn't it awesome? I just like all their S's and their descriptive words. But they do report on another ghost. But wouldn't that be like, you know, you, you can understand how that becomes a such a, yeah, a myth, a legend and something that will just be passed on. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about this lovely lady. Right. Amelia Dyer. Have you heard of Amelia Dyer? No. It's another ghost associated with the courtyard. And this reminds me of another story that we found out about that was true. Um, She was known as the reading baby farmer. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. Paid to look after unwanted babies, this evil woman would drown her charges in the Thames and other rivers whilst continuing to draw a substantial income for their upkeep. Mm Mm-hmm. Of course, you don't have to send photos when you're in the 1700s or whatever it was. <laughs> no. I'll draw prove. a quick, squish, quick <laughs> sketch. <laughs> yeah, this is them playing with their toes. Brought to justice, she was sentenced to death and on uh, 10th of June, 1896, <coughs> she took her final stroll along Dead Man's Walk. As she did so, she passed a young warden named Mr Scott. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Hmm. I think there might have been a few stories that have been thrown together and munched up into one in that soundscape. Mm -hmm. Stopping abruptly, she slowed, turned towards him and fixed him with her evil gaze. Her small, dark eyes looked into his. Her face cracked into a toothless smile and in a low, rasping voice, she sneered, I'll meet you again someday, sir. Moments later, she was dead, dangling at the end of the hangman's noose. Mm. The years passed. Scott progressed in his chosen career and memories. He must be the the, the counsellor. <laughs> and memories uh, of Amelia Dyer and her prophecy were soon forgotten. Then one night, just before the prison was to close, he found himself alone. I think it was meant to be alone in the water's room. He's back to the grill that looked out into the dead man's walk. Suddenly a cold shiver ran down his spine and he got the distinct impression that someone was watching him. And then he heard it. That low, sneering rasp of the unmistakable voice of Mrs. Dwyer echoed from the packed passage. (laughs) (laughs) This is the back passage? (laughs) Meet you again, meet you again. Turning, he saw her evil face framed by the grill. <laughs> I've lost my place. <laughs> oh, here I am building suspenders oh, and I've wrecked it. just ruined the ambiance. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, framed by the grill, grinning at him. Stirred into action, he rushed at her and she promptly vanished. Throwing open the door, the passage was silent and empty. Had he imagined it? Possibly, yet he could never account for the woman's handkerchief, which at that very moment fluttered to the flagstones and lay still by his feet. Isn't that awesome? Mm, Kitties, you are going to have nightmares. Nightmares from money in. (laughs) But that wasn't the exciting bit that I wanted to talk to you about. This, this, I mean, it was all exciting, all the different stories and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it's what I found out, what happened to some of these prisoners that no wonder the buggers haunt the bloody prison. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
basically with the prisoners, it was next to the Court of Justice and close by was the Surgeon's Hall. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the journey that the they took. They were in the prison cell, then the hangman's rope, and then dissected on the surgeon's table. Mm-hmm. But there was something that they started to practice, which they were hoping was going to help people who were drowned come back to life. And this is called galvanism. Have you heard of galvanism? I have. I have. All right. Is this a Frankenstein sort of thing? It is. While on the surgeon's table, (laughs) Uh the dead criminals might be exposed to the new technological trick of galvanism, a Frankenstein technology that involved using electricity Mm. to bring corpses back to life. The bodies of murderers once executed were subject to a display of anatomy in front of an audience of students and other interested individuals who may have paid mm-hmm. to get access. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See, I probably would have paid to see this. Mm-hmm. It, it seems incredible, but operations on the living and the dead were a spectator sport in London 200 years ago, although those present would have claimed that they were there to be educated and informed. So there was a man called Foster. Uh, he was executed for killing his wife and following the usual routine for the accused, he was brought uh, from the typhus-infested Newgate prison out to the Court of Justice, and there was also another great story about um, three people that were uh, sentenced to hang, that they all had uh, typhus, which then they gave to the judges and they all died from typhus. I thought that was great. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so what they would do is they would um, subject the body to the galvanic process invented by Luigi Galvani and his wife Lucia Galvani um, because they found that frogs' legs could be made to twitch by using an electrical current long after the animals had died. So they decided to see if it would work with dead humans. And, yes, we are talking about the period of time where they did where Mary Shelley wrote her novel Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So the thrill for the spectators in the anatomy theatre was to see a dead murderer brought back to life using galvanism. Uh, what would the killer do? Would he lunge at the audience? Would he speak? Would he? Uh, could he be made to do their bidding, this story says? Mm-hmm. Um, so apparently they would uh, apply electricity to the dead man's face and jaw at which point one of his eyes opened. So this is the man who was I mentioned that was um, murdered his wife. Mm-hmm. According to the contemporary account, the adjoining muscles were horribly contorted. Then the right hand rose up, clenched. Following that, his thighs and legs began to move. Wow. <laughs> you imagine being in that time and seeing this happen yeah. with electricity being coursed through. So it must have been like really recent. Um, you can't say that, uh, what do you call it, the rigor mortis would have set in by that stage. Oh, they stage. would have just been dead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the uh, contemporary account goes on to say that the object of the exercise was to show the excitability of the human frame when animal electricity Electricity is duly applied, uh, thereby rekindling the expiring spark of vitality. 
I thought this was quite funny. Unfortunately, the account then claims that the right hand of the deceased rose with such force that it actually struck one of the employees of the <laughs> surgeon hall who died that very afternoon of shock. Oh, my gosh. So the corpse punched him. Yeah. I think that's nice. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of galvanism presenting hope to those feared drowned, it became more associated with the sort of Frankenstein horror that Shelley wrote about. Yeah. But what a story. It's just... I had to tell yeah. it, and I'm sorry, guys, I know we've gone over time, but there was just so much juice in this. And yeah. I mean... And we, we've only touched the surface. scratched that, yep. that blind pimple there. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> now, I would go... In a heartbeat, Mm -hmm. to stand at that wall, Mm -hmm. I would definitely give a night or two to be there all night long to see what happens. Um, 700 years of history, 700 years of torture, terror and just disgusting things happening. There must be residual energy. There has to be lingering souls there wanting revenge. (laughs) There has to be. Uh, I would love, if anyone who uh, is listening to this has visited uh, that area and experienced anything or whether you live around London uh, or are part of the paranormal group and have done investigations, please contact us here at True Hauntings and let us know whether you've had any experiences. And thanks to those people who have sent their stories in and we've really enjoyed reading those and uh, we've actually put some of them onto our Spooky Sundays podcast as well. absolutely. But, Renata, are we declaring this a true haunting? I think so, yes. I think it has to be. I I think there has to be something there. But we need to get off and let these poor people get on with their day if they haven't crashed their car whilst (laughs) laughing their heads off or dropping weights on them while they're (laughs) at the gym. At the the Popuri Act. (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us this week on the True Hauntings episode. If you've enjoyed it, share it with your friends. If you'd like to support our work and say thank you, please become a Grand Pooh Bar and our Patreons. And you can find that by searching searching Anne and Renata, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and become one of our inner circle where you'll get outtakes and some extra stories as well. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you on the dark side. And don't forget everyone to stay spooky. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.annandrenata.com. <laughs>